You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. John Slade said, every hero needs a theme song. And when you hear that theme music, you know it's time for your boy, Doc Coyle and the X-Men. Thank you guys for listening. It is always much appreciated. We have a great show coming up for you. Later on, I have Jeremy Wagner, guitar player and founder of the death metal band Broken Hope. But before that, I would like to tell you what's been going on. I just released an article. I don't know if you guys know, I do a little bit of writing here and there. And I haven't written in a while, just been so busy doing the podcast, playing with the 8 million bands that I'm in. And I just haven't had a, lot, a whole lot of time, but I'm always, it's always in the back of my mind. I'll jot down little ideas of things that I'm thinking about that perhaps need a little bit more of a long form and detailed analysis of. So if you go to www.coil.net, you can read an article called, What the Hell Happened to Movie Soundtracks? And the article is my kind of walking through, I guess in a sense, my childhood and early years where it was just normal that there was a pretty modern set of songs featuring new artists and contemporary artists of a of a certain time and there'd be a soundtrack and those songs would actually be in the movie sometimes there'd be songs named after the movie like ghostbusters and men in black and things like this and then obviously in you know my real formative years in the 90s there were these really edgy hard rock and, and metal soundtracks like the crow judgment night last action hero and those had a really definitive impact on me and you know had an influence on me musically and and also and but the the angle i really tackle it from is from the movie side you know i i posted the article and a lot of people you know almost more talked about made the relation that the reason why it doesn't happen as much anymore is because there's you know that that the music industry has fallen off and that's not really my my contention with it it is my issue that it has fallen off is actually as a film goer where I want to, you know, see a new film that is speaking 
about what's going on now or has a, a vision, a modern vision, and I want the music to have a connection to that. And I, I feel like predominantly a lot of the new music or I guess more what I mean, the new movies, it features a lot of older music or classic music. So you have an example with Guardians of the Galaxy, which obviously a very, very popular movie. And I think they actually use music very well in that movie. So I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but it is focused on the 70s and 70s music and 80s music. And, you know, and, and I guess that's what the, the film is going for. But I don't really know where are the filmmakers that are using music of today to kind of describe what's going on. And, and when are we going to look back 20 years from now and say, oh, these are the films that spoke to the young people of today and and you know I don't I don't know what that is you know and, and that correlation between music and and movies and I don't know and and I'm such a, a movie fan it's it's something that I I think about all the time and and is you know when I see a a song work really well on a film it sticks with me in a way that's just different which is why you you probably notice and I'm sure I'm not the only one because you'll notice a lot of artists most famous songs is a song that was featured in a big movie you know and and it, it just sticks with you in a, in a in a certain way so definitely check that out you know and it almost ties into something else you know i want to recommend and i'm sure probably a lot of you guys have already seen this and this is the documentary series um the defiant ones which is on hbo and it details dr dre and jimmy iovine who is uh used to be a producer and ran Interscope Records and kind of details each of their histories, how they came together and how these how these two individuals in many ways are the maybe perhaps the most prominent figures in their field. I think most people know how much of an impact Dr. Dre has had, but I didn't know about Jimmy Iovine that he produced um, U2 and Bruce Springsteen and um, Patti Smith. And it's just so many, it's, it's insane, you know, that this guy has kind of been part of rock and roll history and then joined up with Dr. Dre and became at the forefront of, you know, hip hop coming into the mainstream in a really, really giant way. And now they have beat, they sold beats to Apple for X amount of billion dollars, but you can watch the, the, the documentary and really get the gist of it. But what was just so fascinating to me is just the, you know, being able to kind of get a, a a view, a backdoor view into Dr. Dre's process because he's been so closed off and he's not someone that's really been out there. There's not a ton of documentaries or behind the scenes on how he does what he does. So that was just fascinating. Someone that prolific and, you know, truly a, a music genius. Um, and and I don't know. I, and obviously, he has kind of a checkered past, and they 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 get into that. He's he's not a perfect guy, but I, I, you know, there's something about his demeanor that is really fascinating and kind of admirable to me. And you know, it makes me. It just got me amped up. It got me like ready ready to go. So so those are my two recommendations. Definitely check out the the Defiant ones. It's four parts. Uh, each episode is a little of an hour over an hour. And yeah, check out my new article on dotcoil.net real quick before we get into our interview with jeremy 
I wanted to talk about a great Jabberjaw media show called Washed Up Emo. For the last 10 years, Washed Up Emo has championed the unknown and forgotten from the emo post-hardcore music scene. They've been home to all things emo through the era's many ups and downs, talking with everyone from American Football, Jimmy World, Braid, Taking Back Sunday, The Promise Ring, Christy Front Drive, Karate to the Get Up Kids, Texas of the Reason, Piebald, and Saves the Day. Every era of emo is represented in every view. Wash Up Emo is the definitive podcast for all things emo. Now, we're going to go to the least emo thing in the world, and that is Broken Hope. Yes, uh, we have Jeremy Wagner, who's uh, also known for his uh, fiction writing, and he, he's kind of made some news lately because he ended up buying a bunch of Jeff Hanneman from Slayer, uh, his old guitars, some of his really classic guitars after he passed away. And yeah, he's the founding member of Broken Hope. And if you don't know death metal, and this band goes all the way back you know, to the early 90s, and they've been doing it for a long time. They made an impact you know, kind of back in the day and they took a big break, and now they're back. They're on Century Media, and they have a kick-ass new record. So here's my chat with Broken Hope's Jeremy Wagner. How's, how's it been yeah. going, man? Doing, doing a lot of press, I, I see. Yeah, yeah. Between uh, Europe and the, and the U.S., um, or North America, you know, just... Had had some busy press days lately. Yeah. Well, that's that's how it is. That's the uh, you know the benefit I think of you know ha- having a real record label, you know, and and having a, a, yeah. a, a history. You know, it's like me. I've been launching brand new bands, and you know, you know, you know, it's a completely different setup. You know, doing it kind of the DIY style. So it's but I I do remember those those long days, especially you know me being kind of the mouthpiece of my band. Yep. And then you and you being that guy in your band, obviously, you know, you're the one doing probably 90 percent of the interviews, right? Pretty much. Yeah. The guy, other guys, uh, I, I, I've asked them if they want to do press and they they're always like, no, no, no. You, you just go ahead and do it. And, uh, you know, unless it's like for a drum magazine or, you know, something or a bass magazine, of course, the other guys got to do that. But, uh, yeah, they, they always shy away from interviews and doing press as, as much as possible, which is fine. I, I don't mind. I mean, I've been doing it so long and, you know, I write all the lyrics and most of the music and stuff. So, uh, you know, I, who better to talk about broken hope, I guess, than me. Plus I'm the last man standing, you know, like I formed a band in high school with two other guys and, uh, who aren't here anymore. So I'm like, uh, yeah, well, the last, last of the Indians here, you know, yeah, the that, old man. That's yeah. kind of what I wanted to, uh, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, my podcast, but it really, you know, generally I interview and, and speak with people who, you know, were in one situation uh, musically or band-wise or even just industry-wise, and they've kind of moved on to something else. And you're one of these uh, individuals who was doing was doing one thing, you know, that thing ended for X amount of time and now you're kind of, yep. you, you know, you've kind of come full circle. Like, you know, a band like that is like, um, like Death Angel, for example, where they were kind of yes. in this whole thing, had a career, you know, things didn't go the, the way they wanted to. 
they disappeared for a while and they came back and have kind of, you know, uh, resurrected their career, you know, um, but in, in your case, you are the, the kind of the last man standing. I mean, what does that, what does that feel like? Yes, it's, it's, uh, well, right now it, it, it feels, uh, it feels really good. You know, I, uh, when I formed the band in high school, I, I always, it was like, all I wanted to do was broken hope. And, uh, when we got signed to a record deal right out of high school, I always, that was my dream come true, you know, getting signed and then touring and, and whatnot. So like the nineties were a very busy and prolific decade for Broken Hope. We do like one album after another, after another, um, tour after tour and whatnot. And then it was like right around, uh, 2002 when we went on hiatus, we had big changes in our lineup, dramatic changes. And, um, and uh, at so, that point, so it was a hiatus. It wasn't like a breakup. Yeah, it right at the time. Um, I, I actually felt it was kind of a breakup at the time. I had uh, well, you know, when you say last man standing, literally at that time too, uh, 2002, I was like the last man standing. Uh, while the original members had had quit or been kicked out, and I had a bunch of hired guns basically, you know, doing touring with me. And it just didn't feel right. Um, you know, I wanted Broken Hope to have a real permanent lineup and, and a, it, a, a solid, um, um, you know, a solid base, you know, something that was um, not going to have revolving doors of, of members. So um, at the time, I kind of felt like we broke up. And, uh, but, I, you know, I didn't like, very broken hope. I basically said I'm not going to do broken hope until I have um, some stability with some permanent members. And uh, it, 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 I didn't plan for it to take ten years. That's what, it, but that's what happened. We came back like ten years later, and um, and it's funny. Now we've been together. We've been back for five years. You know, full on. You know, Al do, doing the same thing. Album after album, tour after tour, and, um, and and it feels really good. I mean, the, the lineup I have now has been really strong, really uh, kind of like, well, Doc, you know, you're you're obviously in a band, or in our bands, and, uh, you know, you deal with a lot of personalities that don't always drive. Um, you know, people uh, also... You want to have people in the band that are passionate about the music. Sometimes you just start jamming with people that you realize aren't really into it. You know, you don't have the same vision. So now, Broken Hope 2017, it's really five guys that are really good friends, all share the same vision, are passionate about the music, passionate about their instruments, and uh, it just it it feels. It feels good to be in broken hope right now. You know, mm -hmm. so I'm really interested in you know these careers. You know, as long as a mm -hmm. band, as a as a band like yours, because you know, in, in in many ways, you know, I came up really in the late '90s, kind of New Jersey, kind of this. It was this big mishmash of everything, whether it was death metal or hardcore or grindcore or 
whatever was yeah. going on at the, at, at the time. So I, I I love getting, you know, kind of in in a way it's like, you know, talking to guys like you, I can it's like my own little DeLorean and I get to go back <laughs> to nineteen ninety one and yeah. and just hear what it what it what it what it was like. I mean what what was it like when you guys got signed um in the in the early nineties in terms of death metal? Like were were you guys did you make a living off the band or was it always kind of this high price hobby? How do I I'd say I, I, I sort of a high price hobby sort of, you know living hand to mouth. It was like in, in the 90s, if we could, we didn't really, none of the guys, myself included, I mean, we literally didn't have a pot to piss in. And um, so being on the road for us was always a great thing because um, back home we didn't have much. And on tour, uh, we, we, what little we got paid to play, um, you know, guarantees and merch and free catering was uh, really a dream come true. It's funny as that sounds because we thought, wow, we were living the dream, we thought. And uh, we, we always had money in our pocket. You know, it was off tour when we'd have to go, you know, because we always had to quit our jobs and find yeah. work and all that stuff. And um, being on tour, we always had money. We always got by and we were doing what we loved, you know. So to some extent, it was it, it was sort of a, a, a hobby to a certain extent because it wasn't a full-time job. Um, but when we were doing it, we were able to pay bills, mm -hmm. you know. And, um, uh, and it just – stuff was really different then too. Like the way we came up that you talk about 1991 – that's when our debut album, Swamp and Pork, came out, actually. And, and prior to that, when, when we formed the band, which was in when I was in high school in 1988, 29 years ago this year, um, we were trading demo tapes worldwide, sending them to fanzines and, and like headbanger uh, pen pals that would put their addresses in the back of of magazines like Metal Forces magazine and Metal Maniacs magazine and, and whatnot, and uh, we started getting a name in the underground because of exposure, I guess, from our demo tapes. Fanzines would review our demos. Some of the bigger mags would, would have a demo review section and review our stuff and have our peel box where people could contact us and people that would write us. We would uh, send them our demo. You know, and a lot, I probably worked at my day job at supporting just the postage <laughs> alone. You know, so you would send it for free? Except, you would send it for uh, free? A lot of them, yeah. A lot of them, yeah, a lot of them I, I would send for free all over the world. But I'll tell you, that's what helped, helped us um, get, get recognition in the underground. Um, bands like uh, Immolation, for example. They they really helped me out when they we were when both bands were unsigned they were like kings of tape trading in the death metal underground and they gave me so many contacts to send demos to and it just it just built from there so anyway all that underground exposure some record labels took notice you know so they would be like um, 
you know, writing the band, uh, are you signed, are you interested in a record deal, that type of thing. So we eventually signed our first record deal, and when our first album came out, Swamp Thing Gore, um, all those underground fans who had our demo tapes all, all like basically bought our debut album and it sold really well for a small little indie death metal band. And, like We did like 10,000 copies. That is good. And a couple of pressings within a few months. Yeah. I mean, like, if that was today, I don't know, we'd probably make it on the Billboard uh, Hot 100 or some shit chart. You know what I mean? So, yeah, no, it's, but, it's well, the, obviously the, the scale has, has changed a lot. But I think, yeah. I think you can, you can, you know, sales obviously are a um, snapshot in time of what's going on around you right so it's it's not yeah. necessarily how many sell it's like well what what are what are what are the relative sales you know i think we're lucky in that the the heavy metal community uh we have fans that still do want to buy records uh we still yeah. have fans that still want to have a physical copy a lot of the time maybe a vinyl um that's something that they really value um yeah did you guys so through those years you know, you said you were you were kind of struggling in that off the road. You'd have to go back and get jobs and figure things out. But did you see kind of like a steady rise? Like, did you feel like you were growing from record to record, and that the the business of the band was was growing, or that the fan base was growing, or was it more just kind of like a steady, um, a, a steady thing? Um, I uh, in the nineties, I definitely saw uh, a, a, a slow ascent. I guess we got bigger and bigger because um, every album we released um, would sell a little bit more and we, we would get better. We got better tours too, you know, and uh, opening for bigger bands and more, get more exposure opening for bigger bands. And to the point where I don't know, by the time our fourth and fifth album came out, we became like a headlining band and, and we were doing okay. And that, and again, like we're really consistent with um, uh, releasing an album, to touring our asses off, and then writing, getting right right into the studio, writing, and getting another album done, and doing that whole cycle. So, 1991 to 2001, constantly busy, and again, growing, growing a little bit. Again, you know, we're just broken hope. Well, I say just broken hope, and but you know we not the biggest band, death metal band in the world, but we we're so consistent. I think that benefited us with keeping busy, getting a little bit bigger each year or each album, and uh, again provided us with some type of lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, while. I think you know? you know because during that time was obviously what we would consider like the death metal boom. And you had bands like Morbid Angel and Obituary and Deicide and Cannibal Corpse selling over 100,000 records. Morbid yes. Angel signing uh, a major label deal. Did you feel kind of left out of that? You know, that kind of peak? Like, did you feel like maybe not being in Tampa and being in Chicago, like that that was just, you were kind of separated from that wave? I think, uh, I think... When it came to Broken Hope, as far as like back then, you know, how where our, our place in, in the early history, 
there's a timing there, man, like a 12, 12 to 16 month period that I think if we would have gotten signed earlier, put an album out earlier, things would be a lot different because you're, you're, that wave you're talking about, there's these, I guess I call them our, our peers that formed around the same year we did 88 and had uh, suffocation, Animal Corpse, um, Immolation, uh, Broken Hope. All the, our bands, those bands, all formed right around 1988. Um, there's, you know, Roadrunner Records was snatching up tons of death metal bands, and uh, at, at the time, and that was there. That's what I'm talking about. There's like a 12 or 16 month period where we just kind of missed the boat. You know, uh, whether an A and R guy did, didn't like our demos or something. And you were on Metal another Blade. Another label. You eventually got signed yeah. Metal Blade, right? What year? That yeah. was '91, or that was the second. Correct. Record? It Correct. was '91. Okay. They, yeah. Well, we signed. We had a independent label called Grindcore International, who signed us. They put out Swampy Gore, and then Metal Blade Records picked us up during that same like album cycle, I guess. And they got the they bought the rights to Swamp before and re-released it. Mm. So all our albums in the '90s were on, on Metal Blade. But obviously, that's so, a, that's a very good label. Yeah. So I mean, oh, it's not it was like... a great it was a great label. But there's um, I don't know what you would call it, Doc. Like uh, like uh, again, call it a wave that this huge wave that of all these other these releases by you know Campbell Corpse, Suffocation, etc. Those guys were just one step ahead of us with like their debut albums coming out. You know, we came along a little bit later with ours. So, um, you know, I don't know. We had a lot to prove. You know, early on. But did you ever think about get? Did you ever think about relocating to Tampa? Um, you know, I. Uh, it's funny because Cannibal Corpse—they're from Buffalo, New York, and actually Deicide too. We're originally from Buffalo, and they—they uh, they all moved down to Florida. Um, and of course, death metal was, they, everyone called that the death metal capital of the world at the time. And, um, it was like Seattle, I, I, Seattle and, you know, and Tampa in the nineties. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so I, I, the only way, only time I ever considered moving down there was, um, not to be part of a scene, but I honestly got just the weather because I hate. Chicago winters, dude. They're so brutal. I'm not a cold weather guy. It's so crazy. I, are you still you in know. Chicago now? <laughs> I'm still in Chicago now, but what, what uh, you're crazy. <laughs> but but my wife and I, we bought we bought a house now for winter in in Miami Beach. So I do I can escape uh, the shitty cold snow and ice and get the hell out of here once the temperature drops. So. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I probably should have relocated a long time ago. I used to stay in Chicago because of the band and family and, and work and stuff. And now a lot of family have moved away from Illinois, and uh, the band band members are spread out, you know, all over the place, you know. Yeah. So, um, but uh, I don't know. Chicago right now is great in the summer. I'll pay. I'll stay put, you know. I'll wait till fall and get the hell out of here. Well, at least with Chicago, you know, there was the scene there with Macabre mm -hmm. and Oppressor, Jungle Rot. Um, I mean, did it 
at the time, was that was there kind of a kinship between those bands? And did you feel like there was a good kind of breeding ground and a, and a place to play and, and call your kind of your home area? Yeah, there's, you know, there's um, still um, some good, uh, uh, um, like, metal. The metal scene in Chicago is still really strong. You know what I mean? It's uh, It's always been really good as far as the bands that come out of Chicago and in the scene and the fans and everything. Now what you're talking about back in, back in the nineties. Um, yeah. Broken hope was friends with um, all those bands that you mentioned. And we still are like jungle rods still going. Uh, Macabre still going. Uh, we've toured with both jungle rot in the past. We've toured Europe with Macabre as well. And, um, there's new, and exciting metal bands coming out of Chicago. Like right now, there's a band called Atlas Moth, mm-hmm. and they've got an album coming out on Prosthetic Records. And uh, Broken Hope's drummer Mike Bichek is actually drumming for those guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that that's a band that's really heavy, Chicago-based. Um, uh, Jungle Rot. Um, they're on tour right now with Destruction, I think, and they're still going. And uh, there's, and then there's been crazy like grindcore bands like uh, our extreme bands like uh, a band called Weekend Nachos. Mm-hmm. And those are a bunch of young guys, a really great band. Um, and uh, uh, and and shows shows still do really great here, man. You know. Uh, they, oh, I know. I know, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's always one of those, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, in terms of market, it's L.A., New York, Chicago, you know, so yeah. it has, you know, any any metropolis that has a lot of people, you know, more than likely you're going to have a good scene. You have a lot to draw from, especially with God forbid, we would do a lot of stuff um, in the suburbs. Um, yeah. And, and sometimes actually we would do better on the outskirts than sometimes when we play in the city. Yeah. So, so, but that was one of the, it was literally the first place outside of the Northeast where we had fans. So I always have a, uh, a great affinity for that, for that era and it's uh, that area, excuse me. And, and I think just like any city of that size, it's, it is so big that it can, you know, it just has that deeper, um, uh, culture, you know, like, yeah. you know, and you, you know, six, I, I spent some time in, in Chicago when I was, moving cross country my car broke down and ended up staying with um my aunt for like a week and just kind of oh hanging my god it. yeah it was a uh, it was pretty brutal i, had, I <laughs> my transmission <laughs> broke and i got stuck there but luckily i was with i was with family i got to see some friends and there's there's you know chicago is an awesome city so there's a, there's a lot worse places to get uh <laughs> to get to, to get marooned but um yeah sure but but so so you guys go through all this stuff, and then um, and the band ends up kind of departing. And actually, I, I got to give one, one shout out to uh, to Brian Griffin, uh, yep. who I le- yep. literally forgot <laughs> that he was in Broken yep. Hope. So people don't know uh, Brian; he's um, the sound guy and tour manager for Lamb of God, uh, yes, and a great one at, at that. And it's like it's almost like it just feels like a different uh, lifetime ago. When it was Brian yeah. from Broken Hope, <laughs> it does, yeah. And I feel like I need to go on like YouTube and uh, go watch some old videos of him uh, doing windmill headbanging and stuff. If I can, if I can find it, <laughs> I know it's like uh, 
I always wonder if like the Lamb of God guys, you know, like uh, like ever have them play guitar and, and like jam with them during a sound check. I had asked Brian before, uh, I think around 2011, if he wanted to do Broken Hope, and he was just, you know, he's got a full time career with the Lamb of God gig, and so he was one was unable to do it. And uh, I asked him if he wanted to do a guest solo as well. Um, but he was, he, he was like in Europe with those guys, but, uh, um, does he still play? I, I believe so. I know, I know I, I've been to his house here in Chicago before and he's got a couple guitars hanging on like those wall stands, you know, that they mm -hmm. hang guitars from. So I know he still, he still screws around with guitars and it'd be great if he did something again. He, he's really great guitarist and you know he produced those first five broken hope albums too oh, wow. he's a he's great studio engineer that's really um why i think he's a natural as a front of house you know sound man because of all those years uh working in a recording studio as an engineer i mean he's uh really talented yeah no clearly clearly i i i think with lamb of god in particular they never sounded as good until he took the helm so it's a it's a match made in in heaven hey guys just wanted to cut in real quick on our interview with jeremy to do a plug for outer loop coaching who has a couple webinars coming up on how to help you release self-release your own music hi i'm mike mowry president of outer loop management my team and I have been helping our musicians release their albums and EPs to get the biggest first week sales possible. And our strategies work. We consistently get first week debuts on the Billboard charts, leading to greater opportunities for my clients. Great tours, great media coverage, and great industry attention. For the first time ever, I'm going to show you how I do it. Go to OuterLoopCoaching.com to learn more and register now for Release It Right, my online webinar on July 22nd or Unleash It Right on July 22nd, as well as July 29th. Put in the code XMANPOD5, all caps and all one word, and I will give you $5 off the price of either webinar. And I will give another $5 to this podcast, so you'll be supporting this show while supporting your own career. Again, go to OuterLoopCoaching.com and use the code XMANPOD5 to get $5 off either Release It Right on July 22nd or unleash it right on July 22nd and July 29th. Peace. So just remember that the discount code is XMANPOD5, and those webinars will run July 22nd and 29th, 2017. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping Helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and I'll see you there. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. 
Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to our talk with Jeremy Wagner. Uh, all right, so all right, so the things died down uh, with the band. What does, you know, because this is, in, in an in a interesting way, it almost would have been... You know, if this podcast would have existed five years ago before you re- reunited the band, you know, it would, it would have, you know, you'd be a more traditional X-Man that we have on here. So what what did you do when Broken Hope was no longer a thing? Well, uh, during the, like, those 10 years, Doc, I was, I, I focused more on, on writing. I've always been a writer, and I was publishing short stories and whatnot, and, uh, I started writing novels, and um, right around uh, 2010, I, I got a publishing deal, and my first novel got published called The Armageddon Court, and uh, that went on to be a bestseller in like three or four countries, and wow. did, really, did really well, yeah, and um, I actually write full-time now because of, because of that, and I've got a couple of new novels done that I'm editing and um, so I'm always I'm always writing my ass off but so I focused a lot on, on writing um, I moved I did actually move out of Chicago for like six months and um, uh, well coincidentally I moved to uh, Lamb of God's area out in Richmond Virginia for six months and then I moved back to Chicago um, and I was just working a day job. I was writing. I formed a, a band that did uh, one album and one MTV like Headbangers Ball video, a band called Lupara. That would have been around 2006. I yeah, think. I remember that. Yeah, and uh, was that was that like death metal? Or was it like a different style? It was sort of like if you took uh, if you took. Death metal riffing like I do, it mixed it with like sort of like hate breed kind of attitude and vocals. It was sort mm-hmm. of a sort of like that, you know. Yeah. Um, Which was kind, and, of, kind uh, of not too different, I think, what was going on at that time, kind of more bands in our scene where obviously yeah. bands like us and uh Shadows Fall were, were in, oh, influenced yeah. by a lot by death metal, you know, in our in, yeah. in the riffing, but then took a more kind of modern hardcore-ish approach vocally yeah right yeah, yeah. so uh doing doing lupara was was good because it was uh 
still a way for me to release, you know, musical ideas and, and play guitar and all that good stuff. So, um, and that's really how I spent my time. Did a little traveling as well, and uh, um, uh, just kept kept myself busy. You know, now that's, that, that's how I did. Now, having success um, and commercial success, you know, as a as a writer, did in in some ways did that kind of make you grateful for the fact that um, you know Broken Hope was not the main thing in your life? Like it, like in a sense. The absence of the band created a new opportunity and a new creative in, endeavor. Did you do you kind of uh, are you thankful for that in that respect? Yeah, I think um, a lot of really a lot of really awesome things have happened for me, but whether it's success things and um, personal things um, that have benefited my life may not have been possible if I was still, you know, had been doing Broken Hope all those years and doing it the same way, you know what I mean? Like, mm. um, um, focusing on writing was, was great for me. That changed my life, um, being a, being a full-time writer. And I mean, writing was always a passion of mine, but, uh, Broken Hope, you know, I was so in love with Broken Hope for all those years before that's all I picture myself doing, you know, and it's in one way kind of short sighted, you know, cause I didn't really try doing anything else. And, uh, like I told you, writing uh, has always been a big passion of mine and, um, focusing on that just opened huge doors for me yeah, and, well, and, and brought, you know, it did, it did, did a lot of change my life, you know? So yeah, I, mean, I am grateful for, I'm grateful for broken home. Be in a way because of stuff like that, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's actually kind of interesting that you and I have that that parallel where I kind of you know I'm you know I don't I don't write novels, but I kind of made a new name for myself, um, you know, doing blogging and writing about music industry and kind of opening up kind of in a more nonfiction route. And I'm just now uh, getting around to start uh, writing a book. Um, but it's it's kind of interesting that yeah if, if I was doing the band you know if, if things didn't die down with God forbid I probably would have never discovered this other talent and I and one thing I kind of noticed about the writing was that things just seem to come a lot easier you know like yeah. in, like in terms of writing like I could write something all on my own and I wouldn't have to you know it's like in a band it's you have to there's so many layers of bureaucracy to make anything happen. It's like, all right, we need to get a rehearsal together and we got to schedule this studio time. And we got to wait for it to get mixed and we got to wait for it to get mastered and we have to wait for it to come out. And there's all yeah. these levels. Whereas like with, with writing, you know, I release it and then I get this kind of immediate feedback on whether or not it's good. And if, you know, and maybe it's probably a little bit different on, uh, when you're doing, uh, fiction and kind of in long form fiction, because it's obviously, a long process between the uh, inception, the completion, and then it's released, you know, but in, in my world, they're just more kind of web-based and there's an, uh, an immediate reaction. I can get quick feedback about whether people like it. And then I, I know like how many views it gets and how many shares it gets. And, it, and it's like, oh, there's, there's this kind of, you know, there, the, the effort level for what I kind of get back just seemed to be a lot more 
the, the, uh, there was a straighter line there between the connection of those two things. Right. And, and also you, you probably, I, I assume feel this way, the way I do, but I, one thing I, whether I'm writing fiction and you're doing the type of writing and, you know, kind of journalistic type of stuff uh, that you're creating. What's awesome is to me, if you feel this way too, uh, the, the solitary uh, work that goes into your craft uh, versus being in a band where you got four other people that need to sign off or approve, you know, and agree on, on the art you're creating. It, it's, it's very satisfying to me just to be my own man, right? Writing and making my, you know, I would have to answer to four other people and then a manager and then, you know, a, a record label or, or anything. You know, I write a book, I got no one to answer to. And the only people I do have to answer to at some point is the editor, the publishing house and, and, and the publisher. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's the joy of doing your own thing. Exactly. Like you're doing that. There, there is, um, there's gratification there and, and there's a, it's just, uh, and I love being in a band with my guys, but writing just has a reward to it that I, that I don't have in the band. And one of, one of those rewards is, um, I'm a one man army as a writer, just like you. And, yeah. uh, that, that's pretty cool. And I actually, uh, follow you on, on, on Twitter and stuff and you, you're definitely very prolific and, and busy. You know, it looks like you're doing a lot of cool stuff out there. Well, I get, I'm the type of person where I just feel like, especially, you know, I'm 36 now and I, and I don't think that's, old by any sense of other things but it 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 makes things the ever more um kind of the like it's the moment is right in front of me that i don't have time to waste you know so yeah. i might as well do everything i want to do and you know and if listen if one thing takes off and all of a sudden everything else has to kind of go to the background i'll just deal with that when i get there but at the moment right. where i don't have one thing that's completely dominating my time. I just I want to have a finger in this. I want to have a finger in that. And that and ultimately, with me, there's a, there is a threshold of quality that everything I do, I wanted to have a certain level that you know, if you uh, ingest or consume something that that I'm I'm putting my name on, that it's going yeah. to have a certain level of quality. So that's something that's really important to me. I'm not someone that. I don't believe oh, yeah. in rushing anything. I'm always, I'll, I always try and take the patient route. Probably sometimes to my detriment, where sometimes I'll like with like I started a, a prog rock band called Vegas Nerve, and you know just to get an EP out probably took us a couple years because we were so meticulous I think about. I, I remember that. I think yeah. yeah. Well, we did like a Kickstarter campaign. And, okay. And we just you know it was it took a long time partially because everyone was like spread out and you know everything when you have. Um, you know this having a band where people live all over the place just doing one normal thing takes three times as long because you need to coordinate a lot of separate pieces you know yeah. Si oh, yeah simultaneously but you know we just took our time with the artwork and we took our time with the logo and we took our time with the mixing and all that stuff because we're like you know what you only get one shot you only get one chance to make a first impression yeah. You know? So that you know, all the all that stuff is is really important, and sometimes I have to kind of, I think, temper that to a degree, so that you know, uh, 
was that a, there's a great Will Smith quote about uh, it's a paralysis through analysis. Sometimes okay. you, you get <laughs> so deep into kind of meticulously crafting something that you kind of bog down the creative flow and you get wrapped right. up in this idea of perfection because the truth is there is no perfection. There's always going to be, you know, a sculptor uh, is chipping away. He's always going to see an imper imperfection. At some point you have to yeah. say it's done, you know, or at least, right. or at least your effort in it has to cease and you have to move on to something else. You know, you'll be Chinese happy. democracy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, the worst but, example of but, that. But you you make a good point, though. I will say this. Um, I could totally relate to is the like our new album. We we it's been four years between our last album and the new one. And my philosophy has always been um, not to rush shit like you're talking about. Make sure your your ideas and, and your art are hammered out, and and you're really whatever your sense of quality control is and, and your care about what you're saying, the quality of the product is, is uh, up to your standards because whether it's uh, vagus nerve, God forbid, broken hope, you know, when, when you put an album out, it's that's it bro. It, and it's out there for eternity and you want it to represent the best work that you created at that time, you know, and sonically you wanted to sound great production wise. And, and, uh, um, uh, sometimes it, it, to your point, it takes a little bit longer and I think it's okay to, um, take your time as long as you're, you're, you know, uh, obviously <laughs> not taking 15 years, but taking your time to really make sure that, that your love, your care and, and the best of your abilities are poured into that, that piece of, of of art an album and, and you're releasing it out there and, and, and you're happy with it, you know well, that's I mean, important well one thing i i noticed kind of um reviewing you know hit listening to the new record and reviewing some of the old materials that the the production level is like night and day between the gap you know and just and that yeah. and i think a lot of that obviously is just the the technological advances that that we've made we've made um great recordings a lot more accessible at a, at a more right. achievable price point do you guys still self-produce or do you are you working with like outside producers and stuff now well actually yeah we're self-producing now uh the last uh, moment of disease um we that was the first time ever where we like bounced around to a few studios there was like one studio where we did guitars and bass and and then another one we did vocals and drums and then yet another studio where um some additional engineering mixing and mastering were done so that album kind of bounced all over the place and it was sort of crazy for me at least uh trying to manage all that get get all that stuff done in all these different places um since then i invested in uh building a really nice studio here at the house and uh, with this album we had that luxury of uh, recording uh, here at my place where this is where we rehearse to and um, taking our time with with the uh, entire recording process without being on someone else's clock you know we 
we had to hire an engineer, uh, the guy Scott Creekmore, who produced the album. He actually built my studio. Mm-hmm. So um, he did all the engineering, mixing, and mastering. But other than that, um, it, it, it made for a very comfortable and more relaxed environment with no, no stress whatsoever. And I think um, that aided the, the, the tracking and also uh, taking time to really hammer out the arrangements, the songs, and, and the production and the mixing and everything just, um, just made for a better, better album, you know? So, uh, so yeah, we're back, we're back to the old, we're back to the like nineties broken hope. We had our own studio thanks to Brian Griffin. So now we have our own studio again. We just don't have Brian. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's the definitely the best sounding record. And I think for this, Thank you. this style of, of metal, you know, me personally, it's like, I think, you know, maybe our, our ears come um, accustomed to that, but I think me, I've always kind of been that way that if a, an extreme record doesn't have a certain level of production, it just, cause think about it. I mean, uh, extreme music is already kind of hard to listen to as is. Yeah. <laughs> and then you put yeah. the extra yeah. barrier of, uh, a rough or loose or just, you know, a, a production where it doesn't all kind of tie together. Um, I think, right. I think there's no, um, secret that, you know, we had guys like, you know, Scott Burns, you know, and, um, you know, the Morris sound, like you had a certain number of people that were producing these great records because it, the, the genre was new and a lot of people didn't even know how to make it sound good on a record, you know? So yeah. the, you know, <laughs> yeah. the advances we've, we've, we've made, I think is really incredible. Now you look at guys like Mark Lewis and, you know, the work they've done with, you know, yes. uh, Deicide or like um, Eric Rutan, you know how he's really brought yep. a lot of the the older death metal bands into kind of a more modern sound while kind of retaining a lot of the the rawness. You know, I think yep. is is really important. Um, speaking of kind of moving from the from an older era to a to a newer era, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go pretty soon, but um, I really want to know how you are kind of dealing with the the way in which we promote music now uh conversely to what it was you know you were you were just talking about tape trading and that is obviously that's like that's not even like a lifetime ago that feels like three lifetimes <laughs> ago because even though i mean with, with god forbid like we you know our first demo was we made tapes and that's that's what it was i had a little tape case with all my favorite local uh demo tapes and now we're in this this other era uh where we've been through the cd era and then that's come and gone and you know where you like burn a cd for a buddy we've been through the ipod era where you're like oh let me rip some songs off your ipod and then you know and then all the uh you know myspace has come and gone and now we're in this new era where it's spotify yeah and it's youtube and do is broken hope do you are you guys like just kind of still speaking to the same fans or there are like a whole new generation of extreme metal heads that are, are getting to the band and how are you how are you connecting those people in a way that's that was different uh 15 years ago well uh you know century media for example they've got like their own in-house uh social media guru who does uh like has access to our broken hope instagram our youtube channel facebook page 
Twitter, on and on. And uh, these people, all this, uh, you know, they, it, it's like there's all these stats and, and stuff that, that they use. Like uh, they're, now they're telling me, for example, you're talking about MySpace turned, you know, people listen to, to Spotify or, and, and, and things change. Right now, I'm being told Instagram is starting to become the most uh, prominent platform socially to promote your band. Mm. Uh, I heard that recently. Um, for me, um, I'm just trying to keep up, Doc. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I personally do some admin stuff through the Broken Help Facebook page. And then that's about it. Century Media is like, for example, I'll give you a, a, a real quick Reader's Digest overview. They, they'll do like a timeline leading up to the release of our album. And, and that the timeline's filled with all these different things we've done. So um, I don't know. You know the director, Tommy Jones? Yeah. I don't know I know, if it, yeah. Of course I know Tommy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, okay, Tommy uh, is a good friend of mine, and he's work with me on a few projects and this on this album uh he filmed tons of content of the whole band over a weekend at my house and in the studio so we have all these webisodes on a timeline we have a video timeline we have promotional music videos uh lyric videos a 360 degree video and then in between all those are webisodes so the making of you know, mutilated and assimilated, the writing process, um, a webisode on the cover art, um, a webisode on how horror culture influences Broken Hope's uh, lyrics and imagery and on and on. And these are all video promotional components that the label uses to promote the, the new album coming out. And they do all, all this video stuff they release on every social media platform that, that, that exists, you know, right now. So, um, uh, so there, so it's all over the place, you know. Now do, and do you feel like, um, that, do you, do you feel like that stuff is connecting you to people? Like, are you, are you seeing an uptick? Are you seeing that this stuff is actually effective? Um, well, I think, uh, yeah, I think we're reaching, uh, definitely reaching more people um, through all these through all these avenues. Um, the uh, like the Spotify thing, the streaming of the album, I think helps a lot too because there's so many people this album and on the last one that I know have never heard Broken Hope before, and they're hearing them hearing it because of streaming or, or promotional videos and stuff. Um, so, I mean, I think it's, it's actually the best way to, to reach, you know, everyone, at least in this day and age right now, you know, there's, you, cause you got social media, you're always going to reach people on via the internet, social media, then probably a magazine ad, you know, or anything like that, you know. Some stuff's becoming more archaic, and, and then every day something new comes out that that, that explodes you. Uh, it exposes you uh, to millions of people. It's crazy. Yeah. No, it's it's a it's a whole new new world, and um, you know, me as someone who is 
kind of been involved creatively and, and in different avenues in trying to evolve with the times, you know, being kind of one of the central challenges I find, right. you know, has, has been this, you know, there, there's this learning curve, but to me, it's also very sink or swim, you know, especially when it comes to this other media, whether it be my writing or the podcast where I'm pretty much it, you know, and if I don't promote yeah. it, um, if, you know, I don't, you know, there's no, I mean, I do have a, a podcast network, Jabberjaw Media, that actually does a lot of really cool stuff and is, is really helping the show. But, um, awesome. nice. you know, but in, in general, you know, most of the, the, uh, the network, you know, people that I can reach is going to come from me. So social media for me has become, you know, almost, I wouldn't even say my second job. It's just part of the overall job. Um, so, you know, I, I'll, it's always interesting for me to speak to people who are like me, who come from, we come, we started in a different era where these tools didn't exist. Uh, and we have to kind of learn on, you know, in, in the continuity of what we're already doing, you know, and kind of figure it out. You know, and I know a lot, a lot right. of people that can be frustrating, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, when, you know, and then, but you never know it, doc, then you get some podcasts that, that take off and become like, uh, you know, super huge. You know, I mean, I know, a, I know a guy does, uh, he's a writer, he does a podcast and he does all, it's like all history stuff. And he's got like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, this number might not even seem like a lot, but it gets like, it's got like 800,000 people listening to his podcast. He's doing it like you, you know, in his house. And it's just, uh, is that Dan it's, Carlin? It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, no, this guy's name's Mac Blonner, mm -hmm. B L A U N E R. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, yeah. well, that's what I, I love about, um, this era in that if you do something great and one person tells another person and it, it, you know, there can be these organic spreads and it, and oftentimes that spread is related to the quality, you know, people want, yeah. because there's so much stuff out there when something it truly stands out and is truly special, it tends to kind of get out there. So, um, right. you know, and I, and I think that's kind of in many ways, listen, things are going to get lost in the shuffle. But, right. you know, the way I look at it, I I don't really have the luxury of kind of just sitting around and waiting for something to take off, <laughs> you know. No, uh, no. Well, uh, dude, life life is definitely too short as well, man. You know, like, yeah, you know, don't don't rest on your laurels and hope something's going to happen. You know, I definitely make an effort to make something happen. Right on, man. Well, I think that's a, a good place to wrap it up. Um, okay. Uh, where can people uh, find the band and, and, and find you on, on social media? Um, there's uh, an official Broken Hope Facebook page, official Broken Hope Twitter. I think that's uh, uh, Broken X Hope. And, or no, Broken Hope at Broken Hope Band is Twitter. And then Broken X Hope is Instagram. And then uh, me, just Jeremy Wagner, uh, I've got a, like an author page. I think it's Jeremy X Wagner on Facebook. And then uh, Jeremy X Wagner on Twitter and yep. Instagram. Right on. And it's uh, mutil yeah. mutilated and assimilated. Is it out now or is it coming out? Uh, it's coming out on uh, Friday, June 23rd, worldwide. Friday, June 23rd. Awesome, man. And we'll uh, we'll talk to the people's label and uh, we'll play a song 
on the episode for people to check out. And uh, yeah, man, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Doc, great great seeing you again, man. I I, I saw you know uh, God forbid so many times over the years, and I've I've met you many many times. So it's good to see you again, man. And I like I said, I follow you on Twitter and. Best of luck with everything you're doing, bro. Likewise, and thanks, for, and thanks for having me, man. Thank of you. course, anytime, man. Uh, good luck with everything, and I'm sure we will run into each other very soon. You got it, bro. Take, Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. heard blast frozen and that's from broken hope's new album mutilated and assimilated available now on century media records i hope you enjoyed our talk i apologize for some of there was some little background noise and kind of clicketer clacketer in the in in the background i do apologize for that i try and get the production and presentation as good as possible but you guys know it's hard out here for a pimp and I just have one more thing to plug real quick. My band, Vegas Nerve, is doing some shows around the tri-state area next month, August 2017. Our show, which was booked in Philadelphia on August 5th at Whiskey Tango, has now been moved to Trenton, New Jersey at a place called Championship Bar. And that's with an awesome band called Give Them Rope. And so we have three shows that weekend we're doing. We're doing... Dingbats in Clifton, New Jersey on the Friday, August 4th, the Trenton show on the 5th, and we'll also be in Brooklyn, New York at the legendary St. Vitus. So I would love to see all my East Coast people out there spread the word, tell the people, tell the people Doc Coyle's back. I don't, you know, I don't know how convincing that was, but it would still be nice to see you guys. 
Anyway, thank you so much for listening to the show. Please go on iTunes, rate and review the X-Men. Send me a message. Send me your questions. Give me suggestions. Who do you guys want to hear on the show? I appreciate it. I have uh, some really great guests coming up in the forthcoming weeks and months. You guys be good. Thanks again. Mamba out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.